Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 34, verses 9 through 22. Please now join me for a prayer for illumination. O Lord God of glory, Father Almighty, we will ever praise you, for you are good and faithful and true. We cry out and you hear us. You surround us and protect us and deliver us from our trials. May we ever sing your praises to all who will hear. Even through the storms and trials of this life, may we keep our eyes fixed on you and rejoice in your glory and majesty. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy? That's a question. Let's listen to it again. Which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord rescues them from all. He keeps their bones, all, he keeps all their bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. I would encourage you, if you still have your Bibles up, just to keep it open and follow along. And you'll see in a moment why it might be helpful to have your, your Bible open with you this morning. You know, during our, our sabbatical leave, Judith and I traveled, as many of you know, from Chicago all the way out by car, all the way out to uh, California. And uh, it was an experience of a lifetime because we were able to see for the first time America's beauty. We were able to see the rich and diverse people and the stunning vistas and the landscapes, and that's just one of them. And I want you to go to the next slide. There's another picture there that I want people to see as we were driving through Utah and just seeing the country, and there are just tons and tons of pictures I could bore you with. But this morning, I want you to join me on a different road trip with Psalm 34. I want you to get into your, your virtual cars, and, and I want you to join me as we travel the road in search of the good life, the good life. 
And we're going to make a few important stops along the way. So in preparation for this trip, I did an internal, an internet search. And uh, I wanted to just see what people are, about, are saying about how to... So look, don't go to that slide yet. Just, just hold off a second here. But I want people to see... I wanted to see how we could get an understanding of what is the good life. What is the good life? And so this is what I found out when I did that quick search on the internet. I, I saw articles touting 20 secrets to living happier. Nine things you can do to live a long and happy life. Seven tips to live a happier life. 15 signs you're going to live a happy life. 20 secrets to living a happy life. Three tips and on and on. Just, it just didn't stop. Of course, I think there is some truth in what a lot of those articles are promoting. For example, some of them said, you need to eat simply. Get exercise. Stop comparing yourself to others. Avoid news overdose. Drink tea. Another article said, no, drink coffee. Another article said, no, drink lots of water. One article said, own a dog. Another article said, this is, this is more serious, butt out. What they meant by that was, stop smoking. As this person said, it's a surefire step to the morgue. And then others had some good things. Believe. Believe. Stay hopeful. I even read a, a Harvard study, very ambitious study that actually started back in 1933, and they're continuing it to this day. They started out in 1933 following 268 young Harvard students, and they're continuing it. And there's this new um, director of this Harvard study on adult development. He gave a TED talk a few years ago that when I looked at the count, there were 20 million views already. And he was talking about this very topic, how to have a good life, how to live a long and happy life. And this is what he said as he came to the end of his talk. He said, so what have we learned? What are the lessons that come from the tens of thousands of pages of information we've, got, we've generated in these lives? And he said, well, the lessons aren't about wealth. The lessons aren't about fame or working harder and harder. He said, and this might blow you away, that the clearest message that we get so far from this extended study is that good relationships keep us happier, they keep us healthier, period. And then we come to Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 has its own set of prescriptions for a long and meaningful and happy life and what do the scriptures say? So I think it's important for us to know, those of us who are sort of these cultural uh, elites, and we think only our culture has all the answers, we're not the only ones who are asking this question. More than 3,000 years ago, long before there were blogs and self-help tools, and long before the Harvard study, people were asking the same question, and Elise read that line two times. And it's there on the screen. People are asking this question today. Which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy good? And the answer is everyone. 
Everyone wants to live a good life. Everyone wants good days. That's, that's just part of, we were made, we were wired to live with purpose and meaning. And so we all want that. You know, so often when I, when I, I, I meet with couples seeking to get married, I, I ask them this very question, why are you getting married? And uh, after hundreds of weddings that I've done over my time and tons of couples that I've met with over my time, the answer keeps coming back the same. We're getting married because we want to be happy. And I'm still waiting for that outlier couple when I ask them the question that maybe I'll get the surprise. Maybe there's one couple out there who will one day surprise me and say, well, to be honest with you, we want to marry so we can make each other miserable and unhappy. Now, there, there might be that person out there. I just haven't met them yet. So one of the first stops on this road trip that we're on, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exit I wish we could avoid. There's no detour to this one. You've got to get off at this exit called the big lie. Confront the big lie. And what you'll find when you get to this stop is that Satan told a big, fat lie. He said, listen, if you obey God, if you obey God, your life is going to be messed up. Your life is going to be constrained. Your life is going to be miserable. Your life is going to be dull. So the best thing you can do with your life is to live outside of God's will. Not within God's will. And unfortunately, this lie has found places in my heart many, many occasions. This lie has captured the domain of every human mind. The lie says you will never be happier until you take the reins of your life and live your truth. Psalm 34 says no. Don't be fooled by that canard. If you want to live a good life, if you want to enjoy a good life, then you gotta, you got to do the good that God is calling you to do. If you want to enjoy the good life, you must live the way God has called you to live. So let's get out of this real quickly and go to the next exit. And the next exit, as we seek to understand this path to the good life, is the fear of the Lord. Now this phrase, just in Psalm 34, occurs about four times. What does it mean, the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 7.10, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The way the, way the alphabet is the beginning of reading. Don't, don't lose that, brothers and sisters. The Bible, I know some of you read the Bible and you're troubled by the Bible and I'm glad that it is stirring something within you, but the Bible is uncomfortably comfortable. The Bible is even happy with promoting a particular kind of fear. So, yes, the Christian life is filled with paradoxes because, because David was crying out. He said, I was being terrorized by my fears. And then he turns around and he surprises us by saying that if you want to live a good life, you need to have the fear of the Lord. He delivered me from my fears, but in order to have a good life, you need to fear the Lord. I think you know where I'm going. This fear that he's speaking about is not cringing terror. The fear of God means to embrace the intensity of who God is, God's holiness, 
God's sovereignty, God's power. It is an admission that, that God is worthy of our admiration, our devotion, our reverence, our obedience, our awe. I don't know about you, but I live a very dull life. Seriously, I have never really met a lot of famous people. But I remember once being invited to do a prayer at an event downtown at one of those fancy hotels, which I can't even remember the name now. And it so happened that I knew that Mrs. Bush was going to be there. And then we walked in and we got seated. And lo and behold, these big burly guys come out. And there was little Mrs. Bush walking in with them. And she sat at our table. And I just felt something come over me. Mrs. Bush, a famous person. And uh, as I tried to talk to her, I didn't want to sound dumb. You know, something of the, the reverence of this person, the first lady of our country. And it just did something to me. And I'm, 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 I guess I'm saying in a much greater way, the fear of the Lord causes us to bring our faces to the ground. It causes a trembling in the soul. It causes us to submit our life to God and the more we admire, the more we worship, the more we revere, the more we praise, what begins to happen to us, brothers and sisters, is that our desire to please God, it just begins to balloon. Fear of God increases desire for God. We run to God, not away from God. Now compare that with the psalm we read a few weeks ago from Psalm 14 about the fool. What does the fool say? The fool says, there is no God. Fool says in his heart, there is no God. And by saying there is no God, the fool, what is the fool doing? The fool is domesticating God. The fool is enlarging himself and diminishing God. God is small. And the result is life then begins to fragment into a million pieces of purposelessness and joylessness. The fool doesn't say, I don't believe God exists. The fool says, I just don't believe that the God who may exist has anything to do with my life, and I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live my truth. Wisdom, though, when you fear the Lord, the Creator God, God begins to give direction and order and purpose to our life. And it's not for the super intelligent. It's not for the deep thinkers. It's for all of us. So here's what we need to see at this stop. This stop that we're at, that what God is saying to us, that if you want to live the good life, it's not a broad road, it's a narrow road. And there are really two ways. There's a road that leads to life, and there's a road that leads to pain and destruction. And we've got to figure out which road am I on. God wants to be the captain of your life. God wants to be the person who provides the GPS in your life. And if it isn't God, then I'm telling you something else is leading our lives. All right, let's, let's look at the quickly at the next exit. We're going to get off at this exit. And this is critical. This is where it really begins to open up because there is an invitation here that you need to accept. We heard the invitation last week, right? Oh, taste and see. You got to you got to come near to this fruit. You got to pick it up. You got to taste it and see whether it's good. 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. But there's a second invitation. It's in verse 11. If you look at verse 11, and, and Hannah brought that out with the kids. Come, O children, not just the little children who are there, but we are children of God. Come, O children, listen to me. So over here, guys, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, there are lots of tour guides in our world today trying to get us on a certain path, trying to tell us which way to turn. But I want to encourage you that there are some tour guides in this church. There are tour guides in Scripture, and they will teach us about Yahweh. Moses, when he was at the burning bush, didn't know what was going on, and it was Yahweh who showed up. And God revealed himself to Moses. Moses said, who are you? What's your name? And God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And I want you, my friends, and you don't have to be an elitist. You don't have to be some kind of religious triumphalist. That's not what I'm advocating. But if you're going to find the way to God, live the good life, it's important for you to reject the truth that says all roads lead to God. It doesn't. It doesn't. It does not. God wants to reveal himself to us as the one who created the heavens and the earth, who led his people out of bondage, who is leading us out of bondage and captivity to sin. And when you accept the invitation, then you begin to see now more clearly where God wants you to go with your life. For example, here is what the invitation then will open up for you. This is the this is the benefit. It opens up the way to a what's called a quorum deo way of life. A quorum deo way of life. You know, when our kids were growing up, we told our kids, don't worry about displeasing us. You know, they felt like they had to be perfect with us. They had to be the perfect little boys and the perfect little girl. And I said to them, don't do that to yourself. I want you to think more broadly about who God is in your life because a day will come when we can't be where you are. And that day did come. We can't be where our kids are right now. They're living their lives and they definitely need to live their lives in this world and they better not live it because they think, well, mom's going to say this, dad's going to say this. No, I say to them, ask the question, what would God say? What would God want you to do? I want my children to live with a quorum deo way of life. That word quorum deo means in the face of, in the presence of God. It's to recognize that it's not just when we're in this space that we live and move and have our existence in God and wherever we are in the, in the privacy of your home. It's a quorum day way of life. At work, it's a quorum day or way of life. When you're on the computer, it's a quorum day or way of life. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to watch? What do you want me to respond to? It's about pleasing God. Pleasing God. Not impressing people. So when you accept the invitation, suddenly you begin to understand that all of my life is, is shot through with the presence of God. And that's why when you read verses 13 and 14, the Quorum Dea way of life helps us to keep our tongue from evil. Because suddenly we say, well, look, I'm not going to tell lies because God is with me and God is my witness. If I tell the truth and I fool everyone, I can't fool God. The Quorum Dea way of life helps you to speak the truth. Look at verse 14. 
the Coram Deo way of life helps us to, to depart from evil and to do good and to seek peace and to pursue it. And when you look at verse 15, isn't verse 15 beautiful? When you live with that awareness that God is with you in every aspect of your life, you'll be able to say this, that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. You, you, you begin to just trust God in, in bigger and bigger ways. Here's another one. Here's another access. When you accept the invitation, you begin to live what I call active holiness. We care about the things that matter to God. You know, we often say in the ironic blessing on number six, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. But here we read in, 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 in Psalm 34, we read that God's presence, God's face. You see that in verse 16? The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be content, condemned. Do not refrain. Do not refrain from sins, mainly because you hate their consequences. Refrain from sin because you know you're going to displease this God who has called you to live in active holiness. And then this next one, the Coram Deo way of life, opens you up to intimacy with God. When you accept the invitation, you enter this intimate relationship with the Lord. But be careful. Having a strong relationship with God doesn't mean you will have a trouble-free, akuna matata kind of life. No. But yes, you will have friendship with God. You will have the assurance that when you are in the dark valleys, when you're in the troubles, God will be there with you. And I think this is what David meant when, as he ended the psalm, he says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. Listen to this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted. Yes, you have an intimate relationship with God, but your heart can still be broken and crushed in spirit. But the Lord is near to you. That's, that's the intimacy of the relationship. Many, notice that, brothers and sisters, many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's not that God is not good. It's not that God has forgotten you. But in this world, we're going to have tribulations. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them. He keeps their bones. Not one of them will be crushed. And then he says, the Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And we quickly run on and say to you this morning that having an intimate relationship with the Lord is possible. You don't have to be a denominational Christian. You don't have to be an American Christian. You don't have to be a cultural Christian. You can actually have a relationship with God as a member of the kingdom of God, which is highly different. And how is that possible? First of all, we have to understand that from the beginning of creation till now, God has been seeking you. God has been knocking on your door already. In fact, Jesus made the first move. 
This is what Luke says. Jesus came to seek and to save. So he's looking for you already. He's looking for you. Another picture of Jesus is in Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, some of us can't hear this, you know that? God's knocking at your door, but the noise of the world and the pursuits of all that we think is the good life, and it just drowns it out. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm knocking at the doors of the church. I'm knocking at the doors of your life. And if you open that door, Jesus says, I'm going to come in. I'm going to have fellowship with you and I'm going to have intimacy with you and then you will discover what the good life is like. Then you will begin to see how I'm at work in your life, but you got to open that door. So as we come to the end of this road trip, there's one more thing we need to remember. If we're going to live this good and blessed life, you have an enemy who's trying to do everything in his power to make sure you miss those exits. First of all, he doesn't want you to take the exit to the big fat lie because he will be exposed. He doesn't want you to take the exit that leads to, that leads to uh, the fear of the Lord. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to be like the fool who says, well, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it my way. He doesn't want you to accept the invitation and come and learn the ways of God. He's going to do everything in your power. We have an enemy who's trying to do that. But here's the good news. Jesus outed him. Jesus says in John 10 and verse 10, there is a thief. There is a thief who comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus is offering us. And the devil doesn't want you to get there. And let me tell you something. He's not going to come in a big red suit with horns on his head and a pitchfork. He's not going to come raining down evil in your life to shock you into following him. No, the devil will come stealthily. He will come with sugar and what tastes like honey and glitter and fool's gold and a big highway, and many people are having a good time. And that's what the devil is going to say. You see, this is what you need to do if you want to have the good life. It's a broad road that the devil will bring to you. But in the end, he wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy your marriage, destroy your life, destroy you, whether you're married or single. The devil is after you. Why do I say that? Because the devil came after Jesus. Right after his baptism, four people being baptized this afternoon. And I want them to know that just as Jesus, after his baptism, was led by the devil, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, that you will experience some hard times. So it's very important you understand that. But here's the good news it doesn't stop there. Jesus says this that if you seek first my kingdom, if you seek first my righteousness, I'm going to add all these things. And I don't know what all that means. I don't think you're going to get a Cadillac, a pink Cadillac. I don't think that's what it means. I don't think it necessarily means you're going to live on a big house on the hill. But it means that your life is going to be fulfilled and that's how you're going to enjoy this good, fulfilled, joy-filled life. 
And whether you live or whether you die, you're going to know that you're the Lord's and nothing can separate you from God's love. Can you say amen to that? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for reminding us that if we want to love life and live life, we have to love you. Loving you means doing your will. So Lord, shine your face upon us. Let us know your love. Thank you that you already love us. Open the eyes of our understanding so we might see the height and the length and the breadth and the depth of the love that you have for us. Lord, remind us as a community that the only loss that is unbearable is to lose you and to lose your presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say again, Amen. Amen.